We're back. Welcome to our special Film Formally mini-series. Friend of the podcast, Sophie Renvari's short films are, as you may or may not have heard, now available for streaming on the Criterion channel. To mark this occasion, we're joining Sophie to record a series of commentary tracks. These feature the writer, director, co-editor, and sometimes star, Sophie herself. Each episode will be synchronized to a specific film available on the Criterion channel. Just have the short film for this commentary ready to go and press play on the movie when you hear a ding. Like that. You don't need to worry about getting the sync too perfect. After the film, we'll have a little bit of extra discussion that isn't bound by the chains of synchronization. Today's commentary is for Pumpkin Movie. It's him. It's a fully produced narrative drama fictional that feels like it's far more expensive than it is, essentially. <laughs> it's a film that had, you know, it had a, a lighting truck. It had credits of note. Then we go to Pumpkin Movie, which is, I would say, very lo-fi. We had about, what, a 48-hour pre-production. And it is very clearly shot with almost no resources. It's about as low as you can get on the resourceometer before you're like shooting on like a web camera cell phone. And I think that there's this kind of temptation with hindsight to go, oh, of course, this was a fully conscious artistic decision on the part of you, Sophie, to specifically strip back your aesthetic. But I, I get the sense that circumstance played as much or a bigger role in this. So I'd like to get your perspective on what changed and what resulted in Pumpkin Movie, especially in relief against It's Him. Honestly, I think I had an idea and I just wanted to make it. <laughs> like I, I really just wanted to... to to make the film as quickly as possible while the idea felt potent, you know? And I was back just for a little while and I, I knew I was in the city with my collaborators and it just felt like strike where all the iron's hot. The concept was very simple, so it all came together really quickly. It was honestly, it was just such a fun experience to get to make because I knew like the stakes were so low. They've never been lower. They've literally never been lower. And I, it was so, which is so funny because it's the film that kind of like started my career. <laughs> <laughs> in a lot of ways. I think that does really speak to like the truth of when you follow your gut and you like trust in your instincts, then interesting things can really happen rather than prepping and prepping and prepping and thinking and doubting and thinking and raising money and, you know, doing all these things. This film, yeah, like we've talked about is like the cost of two pumpkins or whatever. And it was and it was shot in an hour. It's like the the risk reward ratio is kind of off the charts with this one. And I still really enjoy it. Like, I think it's just something that I can look back on really fondly. Like the whole experience of it. My best friend is in it. And we just got to like shoot the shit about toxic men and document it. And it was just like, you know, I never, I never ever thought that this film would go anywhere. Truly. Like it felt to me like just something, a pure expression. And the fact that it resonated with so many people was just like you know, very, very unexpected, which is kind of the most you can hope for if you if you make work. Like I always try to tell people like make work that you don't plan on showing anybody. If you can like really internalize that, then you're probably going to make the most like daring or interesting work because you're not thinking about audience and you're not thinking about expectations. So this film was like really an example of that, I think. Get your copy of the movie ready to start playing. We're going to start in five, four, three, Two, one. All right, pumpkin movie. This is uh, my and uh, Paige's, who uh, was a camera operator on this film. 
And this is this is our apartment. I'm sitting in this apartment right now, considerably more furnished than you see it here in this film. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a, another uh, shot in a friend apartment location, decorated with things that I picked up at a dollar store. I remember walking through like the aisles of the dollar store with like a stack of little pumpkin lights in my arms that were like taller than I was. <laughs> I just went to the the counter and I, I just had all these Halloween decorations. And that was the lighting for the film, essentially. <laughs> that was like half the budget. Paige is actually credited as cinematographer along with me on this. And I, I credit her with most of the lighting because I had this big light off to camera left. And she was like, turn that shit off. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay. At the time, this was the most ramshackle thing I had shot in ages and ages. I think I learned more in this film than I have before or since. Yeah, I feel like I've talked about this so many times, but maybe people who are listening have not heard this. But the concept for the film if you're watching it right now is, you know, these two friends have a tradition that every year they get together and they share these stories that they've collected throughout the year of sort of negative encounters with men as they carve pumpkins over Skype. I had collected a whole bunch of stories on my end, some from anonymously submitted through Twitter or through friends. And then Leah on the other end collected her stories. And the film was essentially a Skype call between the two of us where we shared those stories with each other for the first time on camera as we shot. So I didn't know what she was going to say. She didn't know what I was going to say. And so we were able to have like a very candid back and forth conversation, neither of us being actors and just kind of enjoying each other's company. And that's what gives it sort of its naturalism is that we're just friends interacting, you know, as, you know, air quotes characters. Ultimately, all of those sort of like constructs and limitations made for the conceit that is now been believed as a fiction film, as a documentary, as a hybrid, whatever people decide to see it as. But I definitely didn't make the film knowing that I was blurring the lines in, in such a way until it was started being received that way. It was really just like following my instinct in like a very, very pure, quick, quick way. It's still very interesting to me how this film was received because it's, it's like you made it. And then, you know, the word documentary was not uttered on the set. I think I said this a few times before, probably. And suddenly it's a documentary or a hybrid. And it, it weirdly enough, that kind of, it, it's almost like the printing the legend of that, that this is a documentary, um, kind of had a huge impact on your subsequent films and career. Mm -hmm. I mean, the craziest thing is that everyone involved said yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, no one, not, no one really, you pro no one probably really knew what I was trying to do but everyone's like okay sure we'll make your weird pumpkin movie it was it was what a two-hour commitment yeah i mean like leah especially like on the other end of the computer was just like okay like not knowing exactly what she was saying yes to but yeah then of course like you said like when it got programmed at true false purely out of like all kinds of fate and luck and who knows what but it ended up catching the eye of a programmer there who saw it online and they programmed it without having ever submitted it. And I didn't even know what True False was at the time. But after having the film premiere there and seeing the films that were showing at that festival, I really did feel like I found my people or like I found a sort of language that I had been kind of grasping for, but I never had really been introduced to properly. And I, I still don't really identify necessarily as a hybrid filmmaker, but just sort of the philosophy around film and authenticity versus facade versus like recognizing one or the other has really changed the way I think about cinema. I, yeah, I was, it was something like I was in conversation with it without even realizing until afterwards. So it was really cool. 
what was the plan going in with uh, structuring it? Because I, you never intended for the film to just use the whole take, the whole hour-long take. But what was what was kind of your thought as far as like how to structure the movie? Were you always just going to say like, okay, in editing, we'll just find the right order for these stories? Yeah, because it was non-scripted and because we kind of were shooting in real time, like we were carving pumpkins in real time and having the conversation in real time i just wanted to, to like un- not interrupt the flow of the conversation rather than like doing multiple takes and having that interrupt the actual ritual i wanted to just like let things flow freely so i, I knew that we were going to have to find that in the edit like you know th- there was just going to be a million options for the edit because there was going to be a full conversation that it didn't matter if all those stories were included or just a few so i knew that w- we've talked a little bit about how it's almost shot like television where we have these like four angles shooting simultaneously. So you have all these different options to cut, you know, like you can cut to the shot of Leah on the computer or you can cut to the wide like we're seeing now or the medium of me. You know, it's four different shots of all the same content. It's all one take, but from different angles. So you can cut camera one, camera two, camera three, camera four. So you have a lot of options, but it is difficult to edit solely by yourself when you are <laughs> in, in a film. So I think that's where you, your editing collaborations really, I really couldn't have done without because it's for me to select what the best takes were, what the most interesting moments were, I really needed uh, your your take. Yeah, I just remember structuring this movie being so much fun and and hard because like there's stuff with the pumpkins and the continuity around them and everything that makes it really hard. But the one thing that like you can't really cheat between edits usually, but we made it work. I just remember really trying to find what it was and just eventually lighting on the idea that the stories should get more and more serious and frightening as they go along, right? Like it should feel more real. It should feel like the way that like when you tell ghost stories around a campfire, it starts out being funny and no one's taking it seriously. And then over time, like as you really get into it, it might start to feel more real and scary. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I just remember that we did have a, a picture pumpkin, like one sitting off to the side for the the final shot. So there was some forethought for the end of the film. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I forget why we scrapped it, but originally there was an exterior shot, like an establishing shot, wasn't there? That you, of you like walking down the street with a pumpkin. And then we go up, we went and set it up. And then you went, you know, we don't need this. And we just wrapped. I remember that now, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was really just like smooth brain stuff, just going. Just, just <laughs> I just like had a, I don't know, I had a feeling it would work and it didn't matter if it didn't. So, <laughs> so it worked out. If anyone actually thinks we're exaggerating by saying 48 hour pre-production and like an hour or two of production, that, those that's that's the, the honest truth. Yeah, and pre-production was like, yeah, going to the dollar store and collecting stories from people. Do you know how I earned my producer credit in this film? It was your equipment? Oh, I rented a camera from someone. <laughs> that was the entire thing. We spent like 50 bucks in a case of beer on an A7S, I think. I think I credited my friend Danny because he helped carry the pumpkin to your apartment. <laughs> <laughs> this is what it takes to get a credit in a Sophie Rambari joint, people. This was Pages, this shot, wasn't it? The final shot of the pumpkin? All the close-ups were Pages. I literally sat in a chair, like looking at a monitor because the wide shot didn't need operating. And then this, yeah, this final slide with the names, uh, you know, I, I knew that was going to be the end of the film going into it, and that it would be sort of this reveal. And it's been interesting, like the different reactions I've, I've gotten to that, because a lot of people watching the film 
thought it was a documentary about two friends that do this every year and were somewhat disturbed by the notion that it was like a concept for a film <laughs> rather than something that is true because it feel there's like this sort of mix happening between the authenticity of like the characters interactions versus the fact that you find out that at the end that these are not just their stories and there's something about that to certain people was like a little bit disturbing because their expectations were that they were seeing something that was just being documented and that was that was real and it's always interesting to me when people are disturbed by finding out things are not real when you're watching a film people don't realize how much they even know about cinematic language because they know that certain aesthetics connote authenticity but they don't realize necessarily that that's why they feel the authenticity coming through the film it's like a reverse engineering of it, right? Because the aesthetics that we most associate with authenticity came about mostly due to practical reasons like the Maisel's brothers and Varda and everyone who shot, you know, handheld in a messy way. They're doing so mostly because that's the best way to get, a, to get into a small situation and not be that noticeable. But because those associations are now baked into our brains, it's very easy to just appropriate those aesthetics and basically fool people. Yeah, but it wasn't even like, uh, we weren't trying to fool anybody. It was just like, that was the concept of, of the film. Well, sure. I mean, yeah, maybe there is. Yeah, I just think it's interesting because I think every film is trying to fool somebody if you want to look at it that way, because you're trying to fool people that this shot and this shot, you know, were happening at the same time and same place or whatever. You know, like it, the whole point of editing is fooling people into thinking you're seeing reality. So just the basis of the way that the medium is constructed is like a trick. It's a trick of the eye. <laughs> That's the whole point. That's the thing. Like when it gets into my hands, it's all it's all the same. Yeah. I think there's more of an onus on the audience to be skeptical of the authenticity of what they're seeing than a lot of audience members would like to think. I think the thing about Pumpkin Movie that interests me in that regard, though, is that I feel like we kind of stumbled into those aesthetics of authenticity without really meaning it because the aesthetics of Pumpkin Movie are more driven by practical concern. So it's almost like people are disappointed when this thing that looks like a documentary, because it kind of does, turns out not to be what they think of when they think of a documentary. And I completely understand why people are attached to those uh, notions around authenticity and why it can feel like a deception or like people feel betrayed or something. I can understand where that comes from, but it's just not how I engage with film. Like if someone, if someone gets me to think about the construction of a film in an interesting way, I feel like it's an accomplishment. And I think it's really engaging and interesting for me where some, you know, people are, they get invested in a different way, I think. I think the rest of your filmography bounces off this concept in such interesting and wildly divergent ways. I look forward to seeing those. Thanks for listening, folks. You can hear the rest of the commentaries on this podcast feed or find them on filmformally.com. Paige Smith is our associate producer, and Amanda Avery is this episode's editor. This podcast was recorded on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. Till next time.